Welcome to Kohler Mania. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are always excited to have our listeners listening to us, and it's a blessing. I am Tanya. And I'm Michael. And today we're going to talk about a topic that's not really talked about or maybe brings people a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling when they hear it. We're going to talk about financial stewardship. And a lot of times we cringe because we hear the word finance and money, and then we think about churches wanting money from us. But God intends us to be good stewards of our finances. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it on over to you. Yeah, like you said, this is an important topic, but it's one that we like to avoid in church because who wants to talk about money in church can cause a lot of disagreements there. And even among the family, who wants to talk about money in the family? A lot of times it's a point of stress. It's best to just avoid it. But this is an important topic that should not be avoided. We need to have our financial house in order ourselves as adults. And then we need to be good stewards of our children and teach them about financial matters that they need to know in order to launch them out into the world and be ready. It's an important topic. It's a major source of marriage difficulties. It's one of the main things couples argue about. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. It can affect our ministry if our finances are in shambles. And how can we tithe or give or be generous with others if we are having a hard time just paying our own bills? How can we take a ministry job or whether it be a lay job or whether we're, it's a full-time ministry for little or no pay if we're spending all of our time working a lot of overtime in order to keep up with the bills and such. I mean, the statistics out there are pretty bad. 54% are living from paycheck to paycheck. So that's over half are living paycheck to paycheck. 60% have absolutely no savings. They say that most people are just two paychecks away from total financial disaster. They can't miss two paychecks without something going very seriously wrong very quickly. And that's a concern when stats show that one out of three people will go through a six-month period of time, sometime in their life, where they are out of work. That's six months where they need to be able to live without income. And yet 60% of the population have absolutely no savings in order to do that. We're kind of living on the brink of disaster when that happens. And, and many are deeply in debt. And a lot of times our children start out that way. They start out behind the eight ball. They just can't get a foothold because we're not teaching them how to navigate this world financially. Are they going to get it in school? Most schools don't teach that. They're teaching math and science, not necessarily how to apply finances to everyday world. They might get it in a home economics class, possibly, but that's if they take home economics and if that happens to be part of the curriculum there. So, and what are they teaching? Is it values related to the Bible or not, and, and handling money the biblical way. So we as parents need to make sure that we're on top of what the Bible says about finances, and then be able to teach that to our children. The Bible and Jesus talk a lot about finances. It's one of the main topics. It may be one of the most topics talked about in the Bible, depending on how you categorize things, but it's at least one of the major topics that's in the Bible and that Jesus spoke about, Proverbs. A lot of the Proverbs are on the topic of finances. Half of Jesus' parables are on finances to some degree. You use finances as an example. There's a lot of farm analogies with these 
uh, parables and such. So we have to apply that to modern financial structures. Jesus' parable of the talents is one of the major cardinal principles, and that's one of the main ones we need to keep in mind, is to be a good steward, as is taught in the parable of the talents. I think we most of us probably are familiar with that parable found in Matthew 25, 24 through 30. It talks about a very wealthy owner is leaving on travels, and he leaves his wealth to managers in order to manage his wealth, and he gives one servant five talents. Talents is a type of money. He gives another two and another one, and he expects them to get a return on their investment. The one with five and two, double what they had, and he had very good things to say. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The person with one talent was scared, and he got nervous, and he didn't want to lose it, so he just buried it, and he gave it back when the owner came. He didn't double it. Here's your one talent back. And the owner was very upset, called him wicked and lazy. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers so that my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. And he commanded that what he had be given to the one who had 10, for who has been given more will be given more. Um, as we are stewards of what God has given us, he plans to give us more. But what do you think about the parable of the talents? What kind of things do you learn from this parable, Tanya? When I think about this story, the parable of the talents, one of the first things that comes to my mind is truly about the gospel. Like we have this amazing gospel in our heart and we have to share it. We have to multiply it, making disciples. And so that is one of the first things I think about. And I know that stewardship is applied to various areas, but also with our money. I think about the fact that, you know, some may have more money than others. And we need to be people who are willing to share what we have because what we have is really not ours. It's really the Lord's. And because the Lord has either prospered one person or given another person the ability to share more, then that is something that we have to take in consideration to know, okay, Lord, you have blessed us. Let's bless others. And I think when I see this parable and the first man that had the five talents took it and multiplied it and it became 10, he was basically taking that and multiplying it. The same principle for us when we have something, we are to multiply and share and give to others when we possibly can. And so I just kind of see that as a way of convicting our hearts to really evaluate the things that we currently have that we think that's ours, but it's really not ours. It's the Lord's. Yeah, I think that's the main principle that we gather from the parable of the talents, that God is the owner. We are managers. That's what steward means. We are it's just a fancy word for manager. God gives us resources to manage for him. And so as the owner, he has the right to tell us what to do with that money. We're to follow his lead. Uh, and some of that is outlined in the Bible, what to do with that money. Other may be specific to us, to our particular circumstances. And we have to pray to God and listen to his guidance on what jobs to take, what to do with our finances, what to invest in 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 particular. But yes, it doesn't just apply to money. It applies to evangelism, like you talked about, kids, 
kids are not our own. They're the Lord's. We are stewards of these children that we are asked and commanded by God to raise, to be kingdom minded kids, our talents in the form of like special gifts and skills that God gives us. We're to be good talents to that. If he gives us music abilities, are we using that for the kingdom? And are Mm -hmm. we being good stewards of those musical abilities that he's given or whatever talents and abilities he has given us our time? Mm -hmm. Are we good stewards of our time? Are we using our time and value towards the kingdom and how God wants us to use our time? Are we spending a lot of time kind of wasting it (laughs) and it's just kind of getting away from us? We're stewards of all that. Of course, we're focusing on the financial side of this with financial stewardship, but we should never lose sight of the fact that even all the parables and teachings on financial stewardships are to be applied in general to the fact that God is the owner. He has the right to direct what he wants to be done with it. And he expects a return on his investment. I mean, that requires a little bit of risk. I mean, not that we're supposed to throw caution to the wind, but we're not supposed to bury it either Mm -hmm. and just give it back to him without any return on it. He expects us to give a return on his investment, to do something with the gifts and the finances and the talents and the times and the kids and everything that he's given us to manage, he expects us to get a return on that, especially as a return for his kingdom. And what really stood out for me with the parable of the talents is very recently, I was going over this uh, to study for a class on finances with our marriage class. I was curious how much a talent was. And in looking that up, a talent is 60 minus, these are all Hebrew money, a minor was 100 drachmas, and a drachma was a day's wages. So you're talking about five talents being about 30,000 days wages. You are talking about an enormous amount of money. Mm -hmm. This is, especially during this time period, you had either the very rich or the very poor. Middle class is kind of a modern thing. And you didn't have middle class back then. You just had people that had a lot of money or you had people that were just working to get by. This was a person that had a lot of money. This was like the Donald Trump of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why is Jesus using this amount of money in his example here on stewardship. Do you have any thoughts on that? These are great questions because I've never really looked at the word talent. So you kind of going down and getting a little bit deeper really reflects the amount of money and what Jesus is specifically saying here with this parable. He's talking about a large sum of money. And when we think about money, we think about you know, okay, we can buy all kinds of things with that, but it's deeper than that. It's more about his kingdom because honestly, his kingdom is way bigger than any kind of rich person on this earth. And so looking at this, it seems to me that Jesus wants to be where his kingdom is advancing. So when we are being used by him and he's giving us a ownership or management over the amount of money that he's given us, or again, like we talked about earlier, any other type of stewardship, our talents, our individual talents, teaching, um, whatever gifting, he's going to be behind it and support it because it is a kingdom impact, impacting hearts and expanding his word throughout the earth. And so 
it seems to me that this is not something that he's just saying, oh, it's just a little bit of money. He's reflecting that it is a lot of money. So what are you going to do about my kingdom? Yeah, I think it's astonishing where Jesus is making the point. We have a heavenly father that owns it all. There are no limits to the father. He created it all. He owns it all. And he will give us plenty here to finance good kingdom work. And as we are faithful with what he has given to us, he says he will give us more. As we are not faithful with that, he's not getting a good return on his investment. Like the person with the one talent, he will take that away and give it to the one who's getting a return that's expanding his kingdom for his glory. So, you know, that's our cardinal principle is stewardship, that God is the owner. We are managing, we own nothing. We are managing the finances for him and our kids and our talents and time and everything that's involved with stewardship, but especially our finances, that he is the owner and we are the managers. And that's the principle, cardinal principle that we need to have as adults and that we need to teach to our children. So we wanted to talk extensively on how do we teach this to our children. And there's several ways we can do that. And we'll get more to this at the end. But just to kind of start off with an idea is, you know, Dave Ramsey is the big guy lately that teaches about finances. It used to be Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett still has his material out there, Money Matters for Adults, and you have Money Matters for Kids. Dave Ramsey has his financial peace for adults and financial peace for kids. If you ever have a chance to go through a financial peace university with Dave Ramsey and his material, your church offers that, certainly take that course. You can also order it online and take it as just as a couple, and then you have that foundation to be able to teach this to your children and have your children either go through the adult course if they're old enough or go through the, the children material. It's like, when do we have time to do this? Well, there's a couple ways. If, if you're homeschooling, it could be part of your homeschool curriculum, of course, and that makes it easy. But if you're not homeschooling, that's where we strongly advocate that we must have those 30-minute Bible studies, whether you're homeschooling or not, those 30-minute family Bible studies where you're going through the Bible, you're reading a passage, you're asking questions about it, uh, you're asking questions about the Bible in general. So they have that constant familiarity with the Bible, and we're seeing the parents as the ones who are primarily discipling the children. Anytime you go over something that has to do with finances, bring apply that to today's financial structures and how we apply those principles to finances today. You can also have special topics. We're going to spend a few weeks now and go through a Dave Ramsey course, either the adult version or for the kids, and go through that during the, the family discipleship time, the family Bible study time, and go through it then. So don't just depend on your church to go through this. They may or may not. Don't depend on your school, whatever school they're going to, to go through this, and who knows what they're going to be teaching. We as parents need to make sure that we are the primary disciples in this very important topic. It was so important that the Bible teaches teaches on it as perhaps the most important topic, teaches on it more than anything else, at least one of the more taught topics of any other subject. And so we got to make sure that we are teaching that. But what do we teach our children? And that's what we're going to focus on now, some important topics. The first one is tithe. I mean, we don't get anything right about finances or don't teach them everything that we should. We'll never get it perfect. But at the very least, let's teach them about biblical tithing, giving 10% of our gross income off the top, the best, the first fruits 
of what we have been given by God. The Old Testament commands tithing throughout the the Old Testament, and the New Testament reinforces it. And we see, especially in Malachi, the the strongest words about tithing, where uh, God speaks through Malachi to us and says in Malachi three eight, "Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me." Wherever you rob me, and your tithes and offerings, therefore you're cursed with a curse. Whereas he's, once he says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, that if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough for you to receive it. You know, the kingdom work needs to be financed. The church, in order to have the doors stay open, needs to have income. That's just the reality of the laws of the universe. And God is commanding, bring those tithes into my storehouse so there could be food in my house, resources in my house to do evangelism, to share the gospel, to pay full-time workers that can spend time doing hospital visits and marriage counseling and all the things that just need to be done. The work is endless. And we see Jesus in the New Testament affirming what was said in the Old Testament when he was getting all over the, the Pharisees and scribes saying that you tithe but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. And Jesus is sure to finish his statement with, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He's not attacking them for tithing. He is attacking them for just tithing. And they're being hypocritical because they're they're doing all the things that they can just check off a box with. Yes, I've tithed. I've given 10% of my income. But they're not too concerned about things that they can't really check off a box. It's more subjective. Where's your justice? Where's your mercy? Your religion is just cold and legalistic. It's just checking off boxes and getting all over other people for not checking off their boxes. And yet you're neglecting some important principles in the Bible about justice and mercy and faith and just looking out for your brother and helping your brother. In Acts 4, 32 through 37, we see the examples there where the church was so generous that they held everything in common and no one lacked. Mm -hmm. And they even sold their lands and houses and gave all that they had to the apostles so that they could distribute to anyone that had need. And so we see just the importance of tithing and being able to teach this to our children. There is some pushback, though, that you hear from those that say that tithing is not New Testament, that's Old Testament, and that tithing is not commanded by God. What do you think about that? Yeah, you hit on a amazing verse and one of my favorites in Acts, where the people came together because they were praying together, but also the fact that no one had a need, meaning that everyone shared what they had. And so where is it in the Bible and the New Testament that it says to stop tithing? I believe that we are to continue to tithe. It is a biblical principle. It is a command from the Lord. So I don't know why one would think that because it's not written in the New Testament that it would not be done. The Lord said tithing is something that brings a blessing in Malachi. So why would we stop tithing going forward. The New Testament may not specifically say it, but give me a verse that says, stop tithing. Yeah. And very specifically, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, to continue to tithe. 
you know, and there's not extended amount of teaching in the New Testament like there is in the Old Testament, but does the New Testament have to repeat everything that the Old Testament Mm -hmm. said? That's not what the New Testament does. The New Testament sits on the foundation Mm -hmm. of the Old Testament. And Jesus very specifically said, I did not come to destroy the law. There's no, as he says, jot or tittle as the New King James, King James Version puts it, will pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. Not a tiny little bit of the law will pass away until it's fulfilled. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. The New Testament sits on that foundation. It doesn't have to go back and repeat all the teachings in the Old Testament in order to incorporate it. It it incorporated it by that statement that he, he came to fulfill the law so that everything in the Old Testament is still applies to us today, except where the New Testament very specifically changed things, especially as our relationship to the Lord in regards to punishment. We no longer have to sacrifice all these animals anymore to constantly cover our sins because Jesus's sacrifice dealt with our sins once and for all. It's the perfect sacrifice. And therefore we can come before him with boldness before in the old covenant, only the high priest could go in the presence of God behind a curtain after doing all these sacrifices. And he had to go in there with fear and trembling and said that they had to tie a cord around his foot and had bells. And if he fell down dead because he didn't do everything right, they would pull him out and get another priest. Um, So it was kind of a scary thing to go into God's presence. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two in order to say, we don't have that anymore. There's no separation between us and God. We can all approach God with boldness. He is our father. Jesus is our brother. So the things like that very specifically changed and the New Testament says that. Everything else is still a statement of God's character, his expectations. The Old Testament is a guide. It's a ruler. It's a statement of what's right and wrong. It's a statement of God's character. You know, so we still tithe. We still fast. You know, it's still a, a sin to work on the Sabbath. You know, God wants us to dedicate a day to him to worship to him. It's still wrong to murder. It's still wrong to steal. You know, all these things in the Old Testament about God's character and his expectations for us are still valid. There's nothing in the New Testament that says those are to stop and discontinue. So, you know, tithing is one of those. There's nothing in the New Testament that says to stop tithing. And Jesus very specifically said to continue it and don't leave that undone. And, you know, even if we were to say that tithing specifically, we're now under grace, so it doesn't have to be a specific amount. Every example in the New Testament goes beyond what the Old Testament did when Jesus said, you'd heard it said not to murder. Well, I tell you, if you just hate your brother, you have murdered him in your heart. Or you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, I tell you, if you just look at somebody with lust, then you have committed adultery in your heart. You know, what are the examples we see of tithing? We see the believers selling everything they had and giving everything they had to the apostles. They're tithing 100%. So, you know, even if we're saying that exact 10% is not uh, mandated in the New Testament, 10% is a, still a good starting point of where our tithing should be. What should worry us is if we are making these arguments because we don't want to tithe 10%. And, you know, it's very concerning the statistics out there. The only 5% of churchgoers actually tithe. Those that go to church regularly, only 5% are tithing. Nine percent of those who identify themselves as born again Christians, those are you know strong believers, only nine percent 
tithe, the average churchgoer is only tithing $17 a week on average. It is the very few tithers in the church that are keeping the church doors open, that are giving the church the finances that they need to pay the mortgage, to pay the heating and electric bill. And many churches struggle to just keep their doors open, much less to actually have the finances to go out there and do community outreach and give to the poor. And they just don't have the resources. And that is not the way God intended. He intended like the Acts Church where everybody's giving so much. They just have so much to distribute to those who have need. That's what the church was intended to be. But that only happens at the starting point of tithing. And that's a starting point because beyond that is the offerings. And so God commands tithing and the offerings, and it's very important to teach that to our children. How do we teach that to our children, Tanya? Tithing is a really important topic in our family, and we take it very serious, especially when we are teaching it to our daughter. We have specific chores that she has to earn throughout the week, and I know we'll get into a lot of that later, but also every Sunday before we go to church, she gets paid for her chores that are done outside of the family, things that support the family, but things that are a little bit above and beyond to help the family. And we take her money. We show her what gets split out and we're talking about tithing, but we do save and tithe and some for giving and some to spend. And those are the categories that we've identified. But with tithing, she has a purse and we put her money in her purse and we go to a smaller church that actually has like the offering basket. And when it's time for the offering, she will go up there and give her tithing. So that way she knows that her money has been given to the Lord and that her finances will be blessed because she's giving of her heart what the Lord has given to her through us. And that just shows the importance of it. It's something that we live out as well. And we want to make sure that we tell her all the time that everything that we have is the Lord's and the Lord is the one that provides. Yeah. So, so we take tithing very seriously here in our house and, and that's connected with the chores that our daughter does for pay. And we're teaching a bunch of different principles that we'll go over a little later with that. But the first principle off the top that we want to teach her is what do we do with the very first 10%? And she takes that 10% and she puts it in her purse for tithing. We do the pay on Sunday morning for a specific purpose because she immediately is going to go to church and put that in the offering. We feel it's very important. She's younger, so she's about five years old. And so it's very important for us at this age that she's dealing with real money. I know tithing later on as you get older tends to be very abstract and you can kind of tithe online. But when they're very young, they really need to see us tithing and putting things in the offering. And if we can have them using physical money going to the church very soon after they just got paid and have that 10% off the top. And we're emphasizing this is the first fruits. We give the best. Everything in the Bible was tithing the best, the first fruits. When we see the example with Cain and Abel, God did not like 
what Cain gave. There was something wrong with it. It doesn't specify what it was, but it wasn't the best. And he was pleased with what Abel gave. He gave the best of what he had. And throughout the Bible, it talks about tithing and giving the first fruits the best. We don't just wait until we're done spending all our needs and see if we happen to have anything left over and give what's left over. That's not the best. And that's that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's why we want to give it off the top, the very first, the very best of what we have, the gross of what we have, not after we've paid whatever bills and taxes and things that have come out, but it's the gross amount. And that's what we're teaching her. And she immediately puts that in the offering. So it's a very visual modeling for her what tithing is. And she sees us putting the offering in the offering plate. You may have to sometimes, depending on your church, if they're not giving an having an offering plate being passed around, you may have to make some adjustments, but in any way that you can show visibly that you are putting actual money and actual check in the offering as adults and you have them putting actual money somewhere, depositing it. You know, some churches have a box that you put it in and the church secretary's box or something that said you put it in there. Any way that you can make it very visual so it it's modeled for them. And we want to teach the Malachi principle that that God promises to open the windows of heaven and give us a blessing. Not that that's our motivation. That's not our motivation. But that's there as our heavenly father promises, as the parable of talent says, that we use his resources for his glory. He promises to double that and give us more. Um, and so tithing is a part of that. And I remember a lesson that my grandfather told my mother that was then passed on to us when she said her father told her we did not have much growing up and we wish we could have provided more for you. But there's one thing that we always did, no matter where our finances were, and that's we tithed. And God was always faithful. We never lacked. I agree with that. And it just brings me back to six years ago, Michael, when we had a lot of tribulation and not to get into all the details, but we did have a situation where I was laid off from my job of almost 20 some years. And there was some health issues that you were dealing with. And then my mother going through some really serious lifetime health issues. And it seemed like at that moment, everything was crashing down on us. And we were, of course, people who prepared for the storm financially. But at that moment, it was like, okay, Lord, There was many nights of crying, but it was, okay, Lord, what's happening here? Is this a major test? You said in your word that you would take care of us. And we were so faithful in our tithing up through the entire situation prior to the storm and the tribulation coming. But even when we received anything from unemployment or any kind of financial support, we would tithe on that. And what was one of the most amazing things, and we still talk about this, we've shared this with our Sunday school and some that know us will say, yeah, I remember the story, but it was almost as if our account, our checking account was like on hold. 
we had our finances going out to pay for our home and bills, the the things that we needed to sustain our home and, and buy food and also taking care of my mother while having a loss of job and health issues. And it seemed like the Lord just blessed our account and stopped it because we were curious as to why, why isn't our account going down? You know, we are so faithful. We were praying, we were seeking the Lord, we were trusting in his faithfulness because we were tithers and we continued to tithe anything. If we received $30, we would tithe on that. But it was just God's faithfulness over us. And he gave us such faith at a time of turmoil, a time where it was so hard and just lots of tears in the bottle that he says he knows and he counts those tears. And I just remember faithfully. And at the same time, we were expecting a child. And it was like, okay, how are we going to do all this? How are you going to provide for us? How are you going to provide for this child? You know, there's many miracles there that we could talk about as well. But at the end of all of it, even after not having a job for seven months, the Lord blessed our account to the point that we had more to be able to provide and invest that to help others. And it was just, it was a miracle. It it truly was. And God did it. And we give God all the glory because we believe in tithing. Tithing is a command and we believe in it with our whole heart that we are here because God has given us the things that we have to share with others, to provide for others. And I'm not saying that we are to go out and provide for every single person, but the Lord puts on our hearts who we are to help and support. The same thing with ministries. What type of ministries are we supposed to be supporting God? Show us who we are to give our money to, to be wise and the Lord provided. And even to this day, it's just such a, an amazing story. I, I'm still kind of baffled at the fact that God saw us two little people here, that he saw our hearts and he provided for us because he speaks to us and he shows us and he guides us if we are obedient to him and to his word. Yeah. And we're here hopefully to encourage you in tithing. Um, there may be many listeners out here that may not be tithing. We're not trying to make anybody right. feel any kind of condemnation. We are trying to encourage. And we had that almost kind of felt like Job moment. You know, the, the stats show that one out of three will go six months without work sometime in their life. And we had that. And I believe we went a year and a half without income. You know, that's hard to do if your financial house is not already in order to at least some degree. But at the same time, I was panicking because it's like, man, we're going to look at our life savings just dwindled down to nothing through all of this. I mean, it was nice not to be in the homeless shelter, but who wants to have everything that you worked for just go away as we're not able to find jobs? I mean, I was sick and had to retire and it took a long time to get that retirement process out of the blue. So we had no income from that, from my job from a long time. Tanya got laid off at the exact same time that she got pregnant. And so how do you find a job while you're also pregnant? And so she didn't have any income at the same time that my mother-in-law, her mother got sick 
and lost her job. We had to support her and pay for her mortgage to keep her house going. At the same time, even our cat got sick (laughs) and we had all these vet medical bills to deal with the cat. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I feel like Job and we're just crying to the Lord and saying, ultimately, look, we're scared, but we're going to put our trust in you that you've got us and we're going to continue to tithe faithfully on anything that comes in uh, because that's what you desire and that's what you command. And ultimately it is a statement of trust and faith Mm -hmm. that you are the owner of everything and that you promise to provide and take care of us as a good father. But even if you don't, we're going to tithe faithfully anyways, because you are such a a good father and we'll tithe Mm -hmm. into, into the poor house. But it was just amazing when we started to get jobs back and looking at our finances and it's like, how can this be? Our finances didn't go down. Our finances were actually better off than when we started. And we had a lump sum of income that we needed to figure out what to do with because it was sitting in a non interest bearing account. And we had to figure out where to invest in. We're like, where did that come from? And it's, there's only one way to explain that, and that's through tithing. You know, of course, I was pretty sick at the time, so sometimes I joke that maybe Tanya robbed a bank <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, I do want to say one thing really quickly, because I know we're coming to the end of our podcast. It was amazing that we had secret people at church. It was, we would get these gifts randomly. We did not know where they came from, and they were just like little gift bags with gift cards. And it was really amazing that people would do that. And then there was one situation where a family that we hardly knew gave us a card with a lump sum of money. And they said we had it on our heart. They had no idea. And that couple really stands out. Um, and that's kind of a hard situation to be in to accept these things. And that's why we need to be in a position to be able to provide for those that the Lord puts on our hearts so that we can do the very same thing. Yeah. And comparatively speaking, I mean, these were very generous gifts, yeah. but at the same time, they are, uh, they don't account for our income not going down, our savings not going down, but actually increasing. These in the large scheme of finances were were things that might help with groceries this week or, you know, a gift card to actually mm-hmm. to the movies because we had stopped doing anything fun. And everybody knew that because we're living very small now because we have no income. And so they would give us a gift card. Not to, that we lived big. To, right. To go out, <laughs> but even smaller. We're, we're trying to figure out everything we could possibly cut back because we can't spend any money when we have no income coming in. And so it's not like we were going out to any kind of movies or going out to eat or anything like that. And and people were really nice to recognize that and seeing that we still needed to take care of having fun as a family and spending time together as a family and giving some of those gift cards to restaurants and things like that or some gift cards to buy groceries. That's what the family of believers are supposed to do, like with yeah. Acts, to yeah. be able when we mm-hmm. are in times where we 
are flourishing and God is providing for us, look out for others where they're going through that time, those Job moments where they're really hurting and they've got nobody and they've got nothing. And that's what God calls us to be a father to the fatherless, to be family to those who don't have family, to help those who are going through a time when they don't have anything. We are to support one another. And it was great to see the family of believers rallying around us as well and seeing the Lord provide for us during a long extended time of no income coming in. God promises to be faithful as we promise to be faithful in our tithing as a statement that we trust in you. You are the owner of all things. You will get us through. It just brings back the memories and just the thankfulness of my heart of where the Lord has brought us. And there's still a lot of things to overcome, but he has been faithful to us. And as Michael said earlier, this is not to condemn anyone. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus, but we are here to encourage you and hopefully that you take tithing seriously as it is part of a command that the Lord has given and that your family can be faithful in these things, just as the parable of the talents we spoke about earlier. In the next couple of podcasts, we'll continue to cover financial stewardship in what areas, Michael? Such things as staying out of debt, saving, saving for school, some insurance matters, um, a host of different things that, that we need to be on top of as parents and be able to teach our children these things so they launch into adulthood on a firm footing to be able to do a lot for the glory of God instead of being bogged down in their finances. Great stuff. And so we wrap this up and we are thankful for our listeners and we hope that it was encouraging you to continue to seek the Lord in his word and to be a godly steward of what he has given you. Until next time. God bless. God bless.